So we are wrapping up a series today. For the last seven weeks, we've been looking at what it means to have a place to call home, recognizing that the scriptures of the Easter season speak time and again about about the family of God, about loving one another as brothers and sisters, recognizing that we are all children of God. Of all the ways that we are different, that we are unique from one another, we all share at least one thing in common, and that is that we all have a day on which we were born. We call it our birthday, and and on that day we drew our first breath, and we became a, a unique and unrepeatable miracle created by God. The church, too, has a birthday. It's the day on which it became a unique and unrepeatable miracle of God, a day in which it drew its first breath. We call that day Pentecost. The story that you're about to hear is the story of that day, the story of the church's birth that's found in the book of Acts. Now, you may remember that the last thing that Jesus told his disciples before he ascended into heaven was to go back to Jerusalem and to wait there for God's promise to come true. And there, he said, they would be baptized by the Holy Spirit with little or no idea what that meant. They did as they were told. They went back to Jerusalem and they waited. It says that while they waited, they prayed. And I suspect that at least some of them were praying and asking God to tell them a little bit about what exactly they were waiting for. How would they know when the, when the power had fallen on them? Would it tingle? Would it hurt? Exactly how did the Holy Spirit go about baptizing people? Remembering that Jesus said something about fire, and that sounded a little dangerous. Well, they didn't have to wait long for the answer to their prayers, and they were all gathered together for Pentecost, a a Jewish festival sent 50 days after Passover. According to Deuteronomy, the festival was to be set seven weeks after the harvest. It was an agricultural celebration when people would bring the first fruits to the temple, and they would give them there to God. Now, some things to keep in mind as you hear this story. Fire, especially in the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, is typically associated with the divine presence, the presence of God. And the second thing is that wind is oftentimes described as one of the instruments through which God acts. And so listen now to this word that comes to us from the book of Acts. Today's scripture reading is found in the book of Acts. Chapter 2, the first 21 verses. Here begins the reading. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested in each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, 
Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said they were filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here ends the reading, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Tom Long teaches preaching at the Candler School of Theology at Emory University in Atlanta. And he tells a story about one time early on in his career when he was teaching a Sunday school class of little kids. It was on Pentecost, and, and he was gathered there. There were only three girls in his class. They were about seven, eight years old. And he asked them, do you know what Pentecost is? They didn't know. They'd never heard of it before. And so we went on to say, it was when the church was is all seated together in a circle and tongues of fire came down from heaven and it landed on their heads and they spoke the gospel in all the languages of the world. Well, two of those little girls just sort of sat there with their eyes glazed over. But the third girl, the third girl, her eyes got as big as saucers. And finally, when she was able to speak, she says, I think I must have been absent that Sunday. <laughs> you know, the beautiful thing about that story is not that, that she misunderstood. The beautiful thing is that she thought that that could have happened in her church, that God's spirit could come to their little congregation and give them a word to speak that the world so desperately needed to hear. Now, I will admit that the story of Pentecost, it's a, it's a strange story. And we have a hard time wrapping our minds around what happened. It seems so far removed from what our everyday life is like. And we can't fully understand exactly what went down. But of course, stories in the Bible are less about what happened and more about what it all means. And on that day, even they were asking themselves, what does this mean? 
But first there was wind and then there was fire and they were filled with the spirit and, and, and they overflowed with strange languages. One of them spoke Parthian, another Latin, another Egyptian. Someone spoke Arabic. Now they may not have known what they were saying, but the crowd that was gathered there, they did. They were devout Jews from all over the world and they were standing in the doorways, standing in the windows, listening to a bunch of Galileans tell about the power of God in their own tongues so that no one was left out. The spirit turned into this this incredible linguist that everyone could understand. You may remember in the book of Genesis, the 11th chapter, what happened at Babel. You remember the story about the Israelites building this tower. And according to the story, they built it not only to to make a name for themselves, but also, also it says because they were afraid of being scattered. And so they thought if they build this big city with this big tower, they would all be able to stay together. Scattered is an important word in that story. It appears three times. But God comes down and sees that they sees what was going on and says, wait a minute, this this isn't right. One people, one language. That's not what I had in mind. And so God confused human speech, turned it into Babel, which is what the city is named. So so people couldn't understand each other anymore. And he scattered his people, the Bible says, all over the earth. Now, fast forward a few thousand years when a group of terrified Jesus followers were gathered together, huddled in one place, afraid of what all this meant, afraid of being scattered again. But here on Pentecost, God reverses the original curse. Here, what sounds like Babel, all of a sudden now is intelligible. Or better yet, it's gospel. It's good news, and everyone understands it. And according to the story, 3,000 people were baptized that day. What happened in that room, it, it spread from Jerusalem to Athens, to Rome, to Alexandria. It, it spread across nations and centuries and cultures. And the message of that day was simple. It was honest. It was pure. It was true. There is room for everyone. I don't know how to say it any more plainly than that. The gospel was shared. It was spread to everyone. The message of that day is that God loves everyone. Now, what I find interesting is that in Luke's gospel, before Jesus is born, there were a few, it says, that were given the Spirit. Mary, Elizabeth, John. But once Jesus is baptized and begins his ministry, Only he is empowered by the Holy Spirit. But now, here in this story, everyone is given this gift. On this birthday of the church, Jesus says, Now what's mine is yours. And when this happened, they were all able to speak in other languages. They were able to say to anyone and to everyone in their own language, in a way that they could hear, in a way that they can understand, that God loves you as you are. But sadly, I think think we've gotten away from that message. 
we've turned away from that message of that original Pentecost. By and large, the church far too often has taken this message of extravagant love and we've placed restrictions on it. We say, you have to be this, you have to believe that. We've taken what was, was wide open and we've placed restrictions on it. And in essence, what we've done is we have placed limits on God's love. And the results have been, well, disastrous. I mentioned on that day that 3,000 people were baptized, joined the church. When that message that, that there's room for everyone, thousands of people came. But now, as we've discussed in the last several weeks, over the last several decades, those numbers are headed in the opposite direction. The church has lost, as I said last week, the power of its prominence. We risk losing our moral voice in society and the culture around us. I guess what I'm trying to say is that for the church to survive, to thrive in this world, in this diverse world, it needs to be wide enough to welcome everyone. But instead, the church has become myopic. In many ways, we are, at least we appear to be, relatively narrow-minded. You see, I've convinced myself that if I weren't a Christian and I was thinking about becoming one, that for the most part, seeing how other Christians live, I would worry that, that for me to be Christian, I would have to become a worse person. I would need to become judgmental and arrogant. I would need to become narrow-minded. And I would, wonder, I would wonder, is there any way for me to follow Jesus without actually becoming a Christian? Now, is it just me, or do you ever find yourself defining yourself in the negative rather than the positive by what you're not rather than what you are? Have you ever said this? Well, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not that kind of Christian. I heard the story one time of a woman pastor who has been serving a church for a couple of years. And after she'd been there, she, she went one day in the middle of the week to the hardware store to pick up a few supplies. And while she was there, she struck up a conversation with the person behind the, the counter. And she just simply asked him if he went to church. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm a member of the Disciples Church down the street. She kind of smiled and she said, well, I'm the pastor there. And I've been there a couple years, and I don't think I've ever seen you there. And all of a sudden, in that moment, he got flustered, and he said, Look, lady, I said I'm a member. I didn't say I'm a fanatic. In Jonah Berger's book, Contagious, he shares this amazing thought. That every day, the average American engages in 16 word-of-mouth episodes separate conversations where they say something either positive or negative about an organization, a product, a brand, a service. We suggest restaurants to coworkers, sales to family members, and we recommend responsible babysitters to our neighbors. He points out that American consumers mention specific brands three billion times a day to someone else. And this kind of social talk is almost like breathing. It's so frequent that we don't even realize that we're doing it. 
His suggestion is for people to keep a conversation diary for 24 hours. And if you do that, you might even be surprised about what you talk about without even really realizing it. But yet, how often do we talk about our faith? How often do we talk about the positive difference that it makes in our lives? How often do we talk about the extravagance of God's love, the inclusiveness of our church? Probably not nearly as much, is it? We are quicker to offer a tip on a new restaurant in town than we are to share an invitation to come to church. We are a part at University Christian Church of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. That's the denomination of which we are a part. We are a, a group of Jesus followers who have as our identity statement that we are a movement for wholeness in a fragmented world. As part of one body of Christ, we welcome all to the Lord's table just as Christ has welcomed us. That's who we are. We welcome others with the same welcome that God has welcomed us. And that's a beautiful thing. But yet, unfortunately, way too many people in our culture, in our community, don't know what we stand for. They don't know or understand the wideness of our welcome. In part because we've stopped speaking the language of the culture around us. Mike Reinhardt is a Lutheran bishop here in Texas. And he wrote one time about how there are insiders, but also outsiders in the church. And he said this, he said, here's my hunch. Everything for me rises or falls on this bet. I'm putting all my eggs in this basket, he says. He said, the turnaround of the mainline church will happen when we in those churches care as much about those outside the church as we do about those inside. To embrace relevance, he said, we have to let go of survival. That's it, he says. That's all I've got. And if I'm wrong, fire me now. I will die on this hill. His theory is that the mainline churches have ceased to be relevant because insiders trump outsiders every single time. The decisions are made for the benefit of those inside rather than those outside the church. In every single decision, he says, even the small ones, insiders trump outsiders. Now, most churches, I dare say, are straddled with what I oftentimes refer to as the spirit of nostalgia. And as a result of that, we are driving into the future with hands gripped tightly on the steering wheel, but yet with our eyes on the rearview mirror. But on Pentecost, on Pentecost, the Spirit came and started a new thing. The Spirit breathed new life into the community, and it spread like fire. Then people began to understand one another. People began to serve one another, to understand the purpose of their life together. And the Spirit came and did something new. And as I pointed out, we call this the birthday of the church and like some of us, the church has had quite a few birthdays. It's grown up, and maybe even out. It's changed and evolved and become something wonderful. But yet the world around us is changing as well. And lately, if we are honest, the church seems to be, well, feeling its age. 
isn't quite what it once was, and it started to, to slow down a bit. And so today, as we celebrate the birthday of the church, maybe we need to remember what happened on that day that the church drew its first breath and became a unique and unrepeatable miracle of God. Because on that day, everyone heard the good news in their own language. And there was not one way that the message was received, but there was breadth and there was width. And yet somehow, somehow we've lost that. So maybe the best birthday present that we can receive is the courage to stop being afraid of being scattered, but instead be willing to take this message of God's extravagant love into the world wherever we go. And so what about you? What what story are you willing to tell? Are you more excited to talk about the brand of your laundry detergent or the wideness of God's love? And so perhaps today, the Spirit will blow anew in us and through us, reminding us of the power of the story that we all have to tell. And so we pray together as one, come Holy Spirit, come. Break us open. Do within us a new thing. Amen.